I'm Seth Basham, Equity Research Analyst at Wedbush Securities, and I can't wait to mic it up. Welcome to Mike It Up with GoodBed.com's Jeff Cassidy. So when that's the case, it becomes harder just psychologically to make a change. And Mike Magnuson. If you're doing those things, you can be competitive long term. Just when you thought these number crunching data lovers couldn't get any nerdier, they started a podcast. And I know this is pretty controversial, but this is why we're having a podcast, right? But if you want to be smart about how the mattress shopping journey is changing and what retailers and manufacturers should be doing, about it well then man have you ever found your people because right now it's time to mic it up well well dude thanks so much for uh, you know doing this it's uh, first of all it's great to see you um you know you know what we'll do is we'll just um sometimes i do the intro for the people and then i always mess it up so i'm not even going to try this time i'm just going to hand it over to you and let you introduce yourself. You'll definitely do a better job of it than I will. So why don't you tell the audience you know, a little bit about who you are and, and, and what you do and, and your relationship to the mattress category. I'm an equity research analyst at Wedbush Securities covering the hardline retail space. So that means that I study companies uh, ranging from Home Depot to AutoZone to Wayfair to Chewy uh, to Temper Sealy. Uh, and so on and so forth. Any retailer that's selling hard goods to consumers is in my purview. And with that study, I advise institutional investors, hedge fund managers, mutual fund managers on which stocks to buy and sell based on the prospects for those companies. Awesome. And sorry, and so the companies you cover in the mattress category specifically are which ones? Tepersili, Sleep Number, and Purple Innovation. Okay. And then sort of tangentially related, like you've got Wayfair and you've got Bed Bath & Beyond. The Home Depot and Lowe's sell mattresses. That's true. They do have websites. some mattresses yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you here. We really appreciate you coming coming on the podcast. And we asked you on, on the show, this is our first episode in a long time. Uh, we're welcoming our viewers and re, uh, listeners back after a, quite a long hiatus between season two and season three, many people started to question whether there uh, was going to be a season three. So for those doubters, we're back. But we're glad to have Seth here because obviously the world has changed quite a bit since we last uh, recorded an episode of Mike It Up. And, you know, we're looking at a, a, a really a different environment than we've seen in the mattress industry in quite a long time, like dozen years or more, like since really the housing downturn of 2008 and the ensuing recovery. So we're, we, we thought, what better way to kind of get back into this new season than by bringing in Seth, who can give us really unparalleled visibility into what he's seeing in the market, both the mattress industry, but also retailer, retail more broadly. So uh, we're super glad to have you here and thank you for coming on. You bet. Happy to be here. One thing we like to do just to uh, allow our listeners to get to know you. It's stupid. It's fun. It's not stupid. It's just a little thing. It's It's fun. (laughs) Stupid in a fun way. We do a little lightning round. So so bear with us. We're going to just go through uh, basically just simple, short questions. They have nothing to do with your job or anything else we're going to talk about today. Just a fun little uh, way for an audience to get to know you. Okay. Are you ready? There's like 10 questions. Uh, I'm really bad at lightning rounds. All right. Fair enough. You're obviously in New York City, so we got to ask you, let's start with a really low-hanging, easy one for you. Favorite pizza toppings? 
Oh, uh, it's it's all about veggies. All veggies for me. Wow, interesting. Okay, good for you. Great for you. Best music decade of the past 100 years. Oh, uh, 1970s. Oh, I love that choice. What is a non-condiment that you always have in your refrigerator? Oh, boy. Jeez. Veggies. Veggie pe- <laughs> Day-old veggie pizza? <laughs> I don't have a good answer there. <laughs> well, you do uh, live in New York City, so you probably don't ever eat in your own kitchen. So, <laughs> All right. Favorite holiday? Uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's a good one. That is, the, that is definitely the most popular answer of my guests. Scale of 1 to 10... How good of a sleeper are you? Oh, uh, that's really a, a good question. So I give myself a six. Oh, not mm. a great sleeper. Only a good sleeper. Only a good sleeper, but not a great sleeper. Okay, interesting. Okay, so listeners out there, there's an opportunity right here <laughs> for a customer. Greatest Harrison Ford character ever. I gotta say, Indiana Jones. That's a good choice. There's yeah. lots of good choices there, I think, too. Yeah. There's so many good choices with Harrison Ford, though. Yeah, there's really no wrong answer, except for regarding Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Who should play you, speaking of actors, in the movie about your life? Oh, uh, Matthew McConaughey. Nice. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Favorite snack food? Pistachios. All right. For some reason, that makes me think of Stephen Colbert. Is that because he was like a spokesman for the pistachio industry he was? briefly? I think so. Makes me think of turtles. I could be just a completely random name association. In what non-sport activity would you be most likely to win an Olympic medal? Non-sport. <laughs> oh, boy. Not sleeping. Sleeping is not the answer. Certainly not cooking, it sounds like. Cooking <laughs> <laughs> is on and off. I can't help you there. I don't have a great answer off the top of my head. Equity research, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> All right, last question. What is what is something that recently made you smile? Oof. Jeez. Seeing that stock pick work really well. <laughs> All right, there you go. That is good. Thanks for bearing with that. Can you, let's start out, like, can you give us just a sense of what you see, what you're, what you're projecting for, for next year? Like, what you see in, in the forecast? Let's start, I guess, broadly for the economy and then work our way into like retail and then even eventually, I guess, into like the mattress category specifically. Yeah, sure. So overall for retail, the setup's not looking great uh, into 2023 with two thirds of economists expecting a mild recession by early next year as really inflation saps the spending power and higher interest rates work through the economy. So consensus forecasts are calling for a negative GDP growth in real terms in the first half of 2023 and slight GDP growth for the full year. Not very good. The housing market, which is typically a major catalyst of economic growth, is poised for its worst year since the Great Recession. Uh, Fannie Mae, the National Association of Retailers or Realtors, I should say, as well as the Mortgage Bankers Association, all expect a sharp slowdown in 2023, mm-hmm. with recent forecasts calling for a 13% decline in existing home sales volumes, and some even looking at 20% plus declines for the full year. Wow! So many are also looking for home prices to decline, uh, some low sale digits, some looking for even uh, double digit declines in home prices. That does not set the world up really well for 
big ticket consumer discretionary spending, and frankly, any discretionary consumer spending in 2023. Particularly mattresses, though, which do correlate so much with new home starts and new home purchases and everything. Yeah. So, right. I mean, with this backdrop in mind, we don't see many catalysts for retail growth, and we're expecting a down year. November's retail sales report from the Census Bureau was disappointing. Uh, sales were down slightly month over month, uh, despite a strong Black Friday period. So, I mean, the consumers held up better than a lot of people expect this year. Uh, a lot of that driven by a strong labor market and elevated personal savings. But we're starting to see layoffs pick up, especially in uh, sectors of the economy like tech. And the personal savings rate has declined for four months in a row. So consumers are relying much more on credit to finance their purchases. And that's a troubling sign with credit card interest rates at 30-year highs and um, and uh, mm-hmm. income and put it towards paying um, interest on their uh, credit card debt. So we're seeing a lot of pressure on lower income consumers, especially uh, because more of their disposable income is spent on uh, non-discretionary items uh, such as food and energy. And uh, that's uh, obviously up a lot because of inflation, highest inflation that we've seen in decades. So mm-hmm. the outlook for the higher end consumer is a little bit better. Um, obviously, before, they spend but before less you go there. to the higher end, I have a question just about the macro. So the yeah, you said twenty three. You're projecting it to be a down year for retail, and and was twenty two also? Is that you're also projecting twenty two to finish down over twenty one or? No, uh, 2022 uh, should finish up uh, mid single digits. You know, in real terms, uh, probably flat to down. Okay. Um, but uh, 2023, uh, I think that we'll likely see a, a down year in real terms. Uh, in, in nominal terms, we will likely see you know, flat to slightly positive growth. Okay, got it. And is that's for retail overall? Or is that for mattresses? Okay, that's for retail overall. And how would mattresses, how would you adjust that if you were looking more specifically at the mattress portion of retail? Yeah, so mattresses have been one of the worst performing categories that we track. We've seen this year? a very challenging demand environment. Yeah, yeah recently this mm-hmm. year, uh, the, the the demand environment has been extremely challenging, uh, especially for the last couple quarters. Unit sales down as much as twenty five percent in three Q, and uh, not too different in, in the second quarter. Um, that's getting a little bit better against easier comparisons here in the fourth quarter, and we expect the, the year to end down in unit terms somewhere in the mid-teens. Obviously, strong price increases uh, make it look a little bit better or a fair amount better on a, on a, real, on a sales dollar Normal basis, basis yeah. but in unit terms, it's, uh, it's down sharply. So as we um, think about the context of that type of decline, I mean, these unit declines are in par with peak-to-trough decline seen from 2005-2009 when we got smacked by the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. So uh, what's really remarkable about it, though, is that they've occurred in just one-fifth of that time frame, Uh, really, you know, less than a year that we've seen such a huge decline in demand. Not to Um, mention that we haven't even really gotten into a recession yet, technically. So it's it's occurred in advance of that. Right. So it's remarkable, especially when you consider, as you mentioned, that theoretically 70% of mattress purchases are for replacement. Uh, so uh, that means that, you know, if 30% are more discretionary in nature, uh, we're seeing half of those discretionary sales uh, disappear this year. Mm-hmm. But I think there are two silver linings from the recent trends. Um, 
The first is that the demand environment does not appear to be worsening, as I mentioned. Uh, so that's good. Um, and the second is that the precipitous drop that we've seen in unit sales in recent quarters um, uh, has left unit sales growth about 5% below baseline trend, meaning we've already fully reversed the pull forward in demand in the uh, pandemic. And that should provide like a cushion for um, uh, growth in 2023. So when we think about our forecast for 2023, uh, even with the mild consumer recession, we're forecasting industry unit sales to decline only in the mid single digits. Um, uh, in, in dollar terms, it should be uh, a little bit less than that. Can you back that up and explain to me how you were able to conclude that we've seen all of the pull forward demand play itself out? Like, how, w- w- Walk me through that assessment. We uh, look at what baseline trend is in industry unit sales growth a little bit less than 2%, two, 2% um, uh, when you look at the long-term growth trend. Mm-hmm. You take that baseline trend and you uh, put it from 2019 to 2022, and you say that if we stayed with baseline, we'd be on that trend. Uh-huh. Um, and you compare what happened over that period where we saw unit sales shoot up dramatically in 2020 and early 2021, and then they've fallen so much further below baseline that we haven't gotten all the way back to to what that trend line would be. So, so we're so, about so five. It, if you look at the area under the curve, essentially, like there's we've sold fewer total mattresses between 19, 20, 21, and 22 than we would have expected in baseline, even in spite of the exactly. fact that we had that big peak. Wow, exactly. that surprises me. Yeah. So the so, 22 downturn has been that sharp that we've more than corrected for that pull yeah. forward. Exactly. That's a that's a great assessment there. And, well, and I'm sure that's great news to anyone listening to this podcast. Uh, wow, that's that's really cool. So, okay, so based on that, you're kind of looking at the 23 forecast for the industry and you still consider it likely to be down on a unit basis, but that's more about cyclicality, uh, just normal kind of, it's a down economy and all the other factors you mentioned, slower housing uh, market and things of that nature, but it's not anymore, it's no longer driven by that pull forward dynamic that was unique to the pandemic. Yeah. So I think that's reversed out of the system. It's more about these cyclical pressures uh, and, you know, including those are, um, you know, consumer income, discretionary spending power, confidence, jobs, and uh, very importantly, the housing cycle. Got it. You met, you, you talked about how in, in such a short period of time that decline happened. Do you think that also indicates it? the recovery might be able to uh, be accelerated as well or no? So that's the interesting thing. Uh, When you go back and look at that peak to trough decline during the Great Recession, it took the industry six or seven years uh, to get back to baseline trend. Uh, So very different um, um, circumstances, I'd say. And when we think about what's happening here, I do think that timeline can be compressed because of the sharpness of the decline here, but I think it might still take a couple of years time. Mm-hmm. 
What was it that you were going to say? And I, I apologize, I cut you off to ask you to rewind something. But what were you going to say about the higher end consumer? Uh, the higher end consumer's outlook is better uh, than the average consumer and the low end consumer. I mean, obviously, the higher end consumer spends much less of the disposable income on essential items. Um, you know, the, the stat that we like to use is that the top 20% uh, income quintile spends 20% of disposable income on essentials versus 94% for the bottom 20%. So they look a lot better in a market downturn, uh, you know, economic downturn that we're seeing here. Uh, but there are some things to consider because the luxury housing market is actually doing worse than the housing market as a whole. Uh, so it's definitely pushing some of these consumers to the sidelines when they're considering big ticket discretionary purchases such as mattresses. Mm -hmm. Do you see, uh, given the disparity maybe in bet between the high end consumer and the lower end consumer, do you see share shifts? Like, is that something that you're looking, expecting and, and projecting across retail to like, for example, from retailers? Uh, and channels that may favor high-end consumers and then seeing essentially share shifting to uh, towards those channels perhaps uh, and towards those retailers away from the ones that favor the low-end consumer perhaps or or is it is that counterbalanced by the fact that everybody's essentially under pressure uh, everyone in the consumer space that is is under pressure because of the downturn and therefore lower-end products are kind of in general favored in that environment like where, where does that how does that weigh out like those two things seem to kind of be in conflict yeah uh, certainly retailers that are focused on selling to that low-end consumer uh more discretionary products are facing the biggest pressures so we've seen that from the likes of the dollar stores uh, you know big lots would be a uh, lower end consumer retailer with a lot of discretionary sales. Mm -hmm. um, we've obviously heard Walmart and Target call that out, but there are a number of uh, mid to income consumer, higher income consumers that are trading down. They're shopping right. at mass merchants they might otherwise not shop at. So there is a bit of a counterbalancing effect uh, for sure, um, but uh, it's really those, those really low end retailers that are facing the most pressures. That's interesting. And on those high-end uh, customers, you, you talked about the, the main driver of it not looking as bad was that the percentage of their dis they, of discretionary income is smaller for them than the, the rest of the population. Is that the only indicator that's suggesting that? Or is there some sort of behavior that you have seen that also indicates that there, it looks the forecast looks better. For well, uh, in terms of what we've heard anecdotally from our companies, uh, certainly seeing better trends for the mid and higher priced uh, portions of the mattress uh, sales, for example. Um, but we've heard that across a number of other uh, discretionary categories too. So uh, there are some anecdotal data points there. Uh, that I would uh, say also support that view. What are you seeing as you look across the retail space? Obviously, you, you cover what, how many total companies? 20 or so or a good number of companies? Yeah, about yeah, well, 20, 25 companies. So I have uh, a somewhat broad view of a number of hardline sectors. And that's also why you only, <laughs> only get six hours of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> or only a, only a six rating yeah. on your sleep. Maybe, right? maybe it's uh, my recent memory about my 
relatively sleepless night last night. That's leading me to conclude I'm only a six. So if we had asked you yesterday, we could have gotten a totally different score. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what are you seeing when you look across the the many companies you cover and even some that you probably don't officially cover, but you have to keep keep tabs on? What are you seeing companies in retail that's like distinguishing those that are faring better from those who that are faring worse in this environment, whether it's structural things about them, like some of the things you've already covered, or more strategic choices that they're making that are working well, uh, maybe better than what choices others are making. Yeah, so I mean, we're seeing a lot of companies remain disciplined in terms of promotional intensity to protect their brand power and their margins. Uh, examples in our space are RH, or Restoration Hardware, and Williams-Sonoma. Um, and we're seeing that to a degree as well in the mattress space with Temper Sealy and, and Sleep Number. Uh, for Tempur-Pedic and the Sleep Number brands, they've been pr- fairly consistent with their discounting relative to uh, their historical offers. But the online mattress category and really online retail in general has been very promotional. And it's not clear that um, they've been able to meaningfully improve demand by doing this. So brand integrity really matters. Uh, What else are we seeing that's been working? Well, communicating strong price value uh, certainly has helped uh, some retailers. Wayfair is an example here, uh, especially over the the recent uh, couple months. They've been able to improve their sales trends through uh, better communication of that value message. For them, it's a little bit uh, um, different because they operate a marketplace and there's a lot of excess furnishings and furniture inventory out there. So some vendors look to flush their inventory through Wayfair. Uh, So it's a good news story for them. But mattress retailers with scale like Mattress Firm are in better position to replicate some of this model because the balance of power between suppliers and retailers isn't as one-sided in the mattress space as it is in home furnishings. Um, what else? Well, I think focusing on getting and retaining the best types of customers by building an offering sort of to drive more frequent interaction and loyalty uh, is something that's resonating. We see that in the that well. pet retail space. Yeah, in pet retail, we see that with Petco, uh, really a holistic pet care model. They're not just selling pet food anymore. That would go right up against the likes of Walmart and and, uh, Amazon, but they're offering a lot of services um, around that and a lot of loyalty programs to keep that customer coming back. So, you know, they have grooming and training and now they have veterinarian care. They're offering insurance as well. Uh, So that's a pretty uh, powerful story. And we're seeing Chewy in the online form try to replicate that to a certain degree. Now within mattresses, I think the closest example there is Sleep Number with their Sleep IQ uh, platform. Uh, That's helped build some uh, level of loyalty. But our understanding um, is that oftentimes uh, people who buy a Sleep Number bed with Sleep IQ will use it for a few months and then um, uh, give up the tracking. Perhaps I need some sleep tracking to understand why I didn't sleep very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, from my standpoint, the customer loyalty has always been kind of the holy grail of the mattress category because customer acquisition has always been like kind of the thing that separates the winners from the losers in the mattress category. Sure. And if obviously if you could retain customers once you've acquired them, that would really flip those economics. But it really, because of the fact that 
just the nature of the product. You, you, you keep it for so long. You don't generally see it. Like you don't even know, like people, a lot of people forget what brand it's not like, not like a pair of shoes that you put on every day. You remember yep. their Nikes or their Adidas, like your mattress, yep. you don't ever really see it. You don't think about, it. you don't get on your mattress and think, Oh, I'm, it's so great to get on my brand X mattress. Like you just think about bed. I'm in getting into bed. So there's so many reasons why, it's tough for brands and even more so I think retailers, if you uh, particularly mattress specialty to stay top of mind for that long and, and retain a customer. Uh, it's just a, it's just a great challenge in our, in our category. Um, but uh, the, no doubt. the tracking is, is kind of the latest thing that people are trying. Mattress firm is also trying something along these lines. Uh, but uh, it, it, Casper tried something called Van Winkle, a, ma- a magazine. They thought like, let's, let's provide, just magazine oriented content about sleep. We're going to keep our readers engaged for 10 years with that approach. That didn't, <laughs> that didn't last uh, very long. Um, so it, it's just a tough, it's a tough nut to crack uh, for this category. I think well, it remains sure. to be seen how possible it is. Um, but uh, so, so um, what are some things that retailers that you see retailers doing? You talked about one of them, obviously like the perhaps overdoing it on the promotional activity and and in and and sacrificing some of your brand integrity in the process like what are some other things that you see retailers doing or or that you or know that from past experience that retailers might be inclined to do in this type of environment that you'd maybe caution against doing or 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 at least advise to be cautious about doing yeah so i mean the, the marketing approach is a big question mark here uh because it's gotten really hard to as you probably well know, uh, target uh, or, or effectively target uh, consumers uh, because of the Apple privacy changes. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've seen a number of uh, companies overspend on marketing without a great return on it. So developing a, a better marketing plan, I think, is uh, critical, uh, especially in this new world environment. Uh, what else shouldn't um, players do? Well, we've seen some uh, mismanage their inventory. So um, inventory management in some sectors that I follow, especially uh, say uh, home furnishings, but also in used cars, um, is really led retailers to have a number of problems. So mattress retailing, you don't really hold too many weeks worth of inventory, but that inventory management is uh, pretty important. Traditionally, you don't, and but then, during the pandemics, there was, because of all the shortfalls, there was a lot of like then stockpiles. And then yep, and that yep. happened to coincide right almost exactly with the very beginning onset of the downturn, unfortunately, for many people. Right. And that, that was a story about a year ago, for sure. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then we've seen some other players uh, just load up too much on, on debt or buy back too much stock. I mean, that's not necessarily something that to be to be aware of um, for a number of the smaller players in the mattress industry. But that certainly has created some problems for um, you know, public as well as private players in the retail and consumer space and across the whole spectrum of um, the home furnishings. Uh, vendor base too. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd so- cite those as some things that really shouldn't be doing. You mentioned advertising, like uh, uh, and cautioning, the, or, or just 
the, the fact that many people's approach that they had been using with some amount of success in the past is no longer working with that same amount of success as a result of the privacy changes. That's something we've certainly heard across the board in this category. Like you can't go on Facebook and as easily find mattress shoppers as you used to. Like it's, it's much, much harder to find them in places where they're, where they were just getting it from third parties, essentially. Um, what what do you see that is working? I mean, like, because obviously that's where we fit into this industry too. Like, you you don't have to guess that someone's a mattress shopper when they're on good bed. Like, that's that's what we offer to retailers. But I'm just curious. Like, so so I guess that's a small plug for if you're not already using good bed for your advertising, you should be. And that's certainly a way around all these privacy changes because you go directly to the place where the mattress shoppers are, not like a proxy for them, like Facebook. So, but what are what else are you seeing that people are doing that works? on the advertising front? Yeah, that's a good question. And this is not my area of expertise by any means. Uh, but I think, you know, first party data uh, is the holy grail here. So if you're able to have that customer come onto your platform for one reason or another and track them and be able to target them uh, more effectively, uh, that's great. You know, other ways to uh, marry data sets to understand what consumer interests are uh, and um, target them are also uh, great. And uh, perhaps, as you said, a partnership with a company like yours uh, would be pretty effective in doing that. Uh, but at this point in time, even the more sophisticated retailers that I follow from an online advertising standpoint haven't fully figured it out. You know, take somebody like Wayfair. You can look at their customer acquisition costs, and they're up three times from 2019. Um, wow. Chewy's they're up, you know, nearly a hundred percent as well. So there is a, uh, you know, a baseline trend of higher advertising costs, but there's this structural component, uh, which is really problematic to making positive customer unit economics for online based retailers. Wow. Those are some striking numbers through up three X up two X. Wow. That's amazing. That's probably why their, their stock is down so much, right? They're, they're what the farthest down of everything that, you cover right related to mattresses uh related to mattresses yes who's the worst that you cover uh, worse than them outside of mattresses in the past oh, year, uh, year that would be carvana 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 yeah, is down seems... like 98 percent or something yeah. right like since their peak yeah. oh my god even worse That's... than bed bath and beyond so carvana's been giving me some sleepless nights lately <laughs> <laughs> yeah i bet bed bath and beyond too you ha you had some of that uh that whole kind of what do they call the like the reddit fueled kind of investing like uh, <laughs> i forget what the term is but some of that meme was stocks. Yep. meme stocks that's right they've been a mean stock on and off right for a little bit right this year yep yep a couple that's of years make but, your job a little yeah, harder that's, that's a prime example of a company that mismanaged its uh capital structure it, it uh you know sold a bunch of assets and took that cash and bought back a lot of stock uh, uh, just before his business started to roll over. So, oh, yikes. Um, speaking of, of some of those uh, situations where companies are, are potentially in some, a precarious situation, I mean, I'm sure you saw the headlines recently about uh, Serta Simmons uh, and the possibility. Like, do you follow that company at all? Obviously, they have public debt. Um, I don't think that's in your coverage universe, but maybe you have investors that are, are clients that ask you about it. Like what's your point of view on an SSB and also like how its challenges might roll over and affect the rest of the industry. 
Yeah, uh, definitely. I've been following it tangentially. Uh, Sir Simmons has been struggling in recent years under a mountain debt and operational challenges, and they've had uh, a lot of share losses to competitors, including Temper. So, uh, you know, Temper reached a mattress industry-leading 30% market share in 2019, uh, eclipsing Sir Simmons, and hasn't looked back since then. Um, we think that uh, Sir Simmons has lost a few more points in market share since then. And while we've been anticipating bankruptcy or debt restructuring for Sir Simmons uh, for some time now, uh, and so is the, the you know, bond market too, given that their bonds trade at pennies on the dollar. Um, the event's meaningful for Temper Sealy in particular. Um, the uh, company's likely to restructure in bankruptcy, and in that scenario, they're likely to pull back on some of their less profitable uh, or unprofitable uh, lines of business, opening the door for Temper to take additional share, particularly with this Sealy brand. So we look at that as a positive accelerator to Temper Sealy's share gains and uh, a little bit less so for the likes of Sleep Number that we cover because of a little bit less direct overlap with Sir Simmons. I agree with that. What about for the, for the retail side? I mean, I don't know, I guess you don't really have any uh, pure retail uh, in your coverage universe that are mattress oriented really, uh, but what do you think would ha how do you think that would affect the retail side uh, of this business? Yeah, so that's a good question. I think that you know, retailers uh, want to make sure that they're uh, getting good product uh, with good marketing behind it um, and consistent quality service. Uh, so to the extent that may not be the case as this company goes through restructuring, then they may very well uh, want to uh, give some of those slots that they had for um, sort of Simmons brands to uh, another company. So that's one consideration. Um, uh, there could be some disruption with those relationships. Do you think there's any scenario where, where the, the industry comes out stronger as a result of like having like a second player that you know, can come out with presumably a cleaner balance sheet and a more like more financial stability on the other side of a restructuring? Do you think that could be kind of a silver lining in any way for the industry? Um, not really. When you say come out cleaner, you expect there to be more financial stability and therefore uh, less volatility. Um, you know, that could help a bit, but I don't see that as being uh, a key driver for this industry going forward. Yeah, I was just thinking, yeah, basically you, you summarized what I was asking, like the idea of having like uh, a smaller but, but stable number two in the industry. Could that somehow be a plus relative to perhaps where we've been for the last year where, like you said, um, maybe they haven't had as much stability uh, financially, and there's been these rumors of potential financial troubles on the horizon for, for a while. So, uh, but you answered the question. Just turning our attention, you, you probably also follow Mattress Firm tangentially. I assume if they were to go public, they would immediately enter your coverage universe. And they did file that prospectus in January as with the, to announce the intention to do that. And since then, they've been kind of keeping the public market abreast of developments on of their thinking on that. And the last I think I saw was a, a release in October stating that they continue to look at kind of 
strategic alternatives of, of various kinds. They're kind of watching the public markets to see if there's an opening. Like, what what are your thoughts just uh, on the next steps for Mattress Firm? Yeah, so I think when the IPO market reopens and there's some stability in the economy and stability in sales uh, in this sector, there could be interests uh, from institutional investors to uh, buy this company stock and IPO. Uh, but I don't see that as happening in the near term. I think that the company will continue to pursue the next few months. Okay. Uh, so if it's going to happen, I think it would be probably a, a mid to late 2023 type time frame. Um, so in the meantime, I think the company is going to uh, continue to uh, focus on improving its operations at the same time, considering other strategic alternatives. So what else could they do? I mean, could they sell themselves to uh, private equity? Uh, could they sell themselves to another player in the industry? I mean, all those things are on the table. Mm-hmm. Do you think, like, is there any precedent for, uh, let's presume that 2022 is going to be a down year for a mattress firm as it uh, will be for many players. Do you th- is there any precedent for companies to go public um, when the most recent full year of financial results shows a decline? Uh, I mean, it, it has happened, uh, not very often, um, but I think that they'll need to get a couple quarters under their belt of showing stability and a little bit of growth yeah. uh, before there'll be real appetite unless they want to take a huge haircut on valuation. Right, right, right. Got it. You cover other... Um, physical brick and mortar retailers. I'm curious, uh, like you cover Best Buy, for example, and Best Buy talks about, uh, in terms of the size and scope of their brick and mortar retail network, they talk about it uh, in terms of what portion of the US population is within X minutes or X miles of a Best Buy store. I think the statistic that I've seen from them was like a few years ago, 70% of the US population is within uh, a 15 minute drive of a Best Buy or something. And um, I noticed that in the mattress firm uh, prospectus, they put a similar statistic in there about their retail network saying 82% of people are within 10 miles of, of a mattress firm store. Now, Best Buy has about 1,100 stores. Mattress firm has closer to 2,500 stores. I mean, I've been saying for a long time, <laughs> I feel like 2,500, even though it's down significantly from where it was before they went bankrupt in the mid 2010s, it still feels like way too much, way too many stores to me. What's your point of view on that? Is there any reason in your mind why a mattress firm, a product that is purchased only once a decade, that people will, is highly considered, that people generally do want to touch and feel before they buy and therefore presumably would drive a little further? to do so uh, in that rare moment that they're actually shopping for that product. Do you see any reason why a, a, a mattress firm should have more stores than a Best Buy? So it's been a, a good question and a question that's been around for a number of years. Um, in fact, I think there is a podcast asking whether there is a conspiracy at mattress firm around money laundering or... I, I, I was a guest on that <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that was an NPR a piece that I was actually on. <laughs> As was I, I recall that. Um, it's still it's still going around on TikTok, by the way. My, and the reason I know that is because my kids at dinner the other night just asked me if ma- if Mattress Firm is a money laundering <laughs> front, and they learned that on TikTok. That's no great. Way. Recently. That's great. 
That's great. That's amazing. Oh, <laughs> uh, you gotta love Reddit and TikTok. Oh my gosh. But yeah, you know, from my perspective. I was like, kids, you got to listen to NPR. I debunked that four years ago. <laughs> you got to listen to the Mike It Up podcast. And you got to listen to Mike It Up. Yeah, that's their real problem. Yeah, they really want to do that. Well, I mean, from my perspective, I think that they probably have more stores than they need, but there is some rationale to having a large number of stores, and that is to capture that customer's attention. So they're top of mind uh, when they do think they need to buy a mattress. So you'll see the mattress firm sign on the street, on your drive, on your walk, etc. cetera. Uh, you may not see that if there are fewer stores. So I think that's one of the most important things. The second thing to keep in mind is that it's not that expensive to operate a mattress firm store. So you have uh, the storefront, maybe one or two employees in there. Most of your inventory in the store is heavily discounted, if not provided by the manufacturers. So um, uh, overhead costs are relatively low compared to a lot of other retail stores. Fair enough. Fair enough. At some point, though, do the economics, like given the changes in how people shop, I mean, like for sure, 20 years ago, you know, that whole being top of mind, people, the way people would shop, it was like the first thing, my first stop, my first step when I'm deciding I need a new mattress is probably to stop into a store. Like, so being top of mind, being on someone's route uh, to and from work or whatever was a big deal then. Whereas now I'd really feel like for most shoppers, our research and our data shows that most people's first step now is to go on the internet, not to go stop into a store. And in fact, stopping in a store is oftentimes the last step. After I've done a bunch of research, it's now like just this confirmatory kind of final step so in given that trend, like doesn't that change those economics as cheap as it may be to operate a retail store? Like at some point, it, it's still not worth it, right? Like because what you real what really matters is that you show up on the internet when people are starting this process, not that you're on their way to work. Because if you're if you get into their consideration set while while they're online, then they'll go a little out of their way to uh, to buy the product when that step comes. Right. Now, I think that consideration, that uh, sort of point where it becomes less economical or uneconomical um, could happen over time. And that's why we've seen them close some stores and they very well could close more as the leases come up. Uh, but uh, there's a majority of the consumers in the U.S. who are still purchasing mattresses in retail stores and they uh, find value in what they can do. They can try the mattress out uh, more than anything else, uh, maybe get some insight from a retail sales associate. So I think that that's still uh, the, the uh, core piece of the industry, even though the online channel has grown a lot. I think the online channel's growth certainly uh, went negative recently, and the growth in the future is likely to be uh, slower uh, than it's been in the past. And just to be clear, I'm not, I agree with everything that you just said about the importance of the brick and mortar channel. I was only talking about the sequence of when people go to the store, but I completely agree that that is still a really important part of the process for people. I just think it's no longer the first step. I think it's now like the last step. And I think that changes yeah. the value of, you know, the retail footprint, like how, how dense your retail footprint has to be, because if they're narrowing their consideration set online and they're ultimately want to do try it, they will, they'll discover you online and they'll be willing to try to travel a little further at that time. Um, so, but I completely agree. We're, we're big supporters of the brick and mortar uh, channel as, as a, 
permanent part of this industry. I don't, we never really subscribe to this idea that like this industry was going to go completely online or anything of that nature. So, uh, completely agree with you on that. Yeah. You just, the, the, uh, the equivalent of seeing it as you drive by on your route now is the, when I go online and the first time I start looking for a mattress, if I see you then that's the, the digital equivalent these days of being top of mind. Good. Well, um, one thing we always like to ask our guests before we wrap up is, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you feel like I should have? Like anything else that you think our listeners uh, should know uh, that, you know, from what you're seeing out of there in the industry? Or um, I mean, there are puts and takes as we think about the outlook for the industry in 2023 from a margin dynamic. Uh, there's a big question in many investors' minds whether or not commodity price declines will be um, a source of margin expansion for the manufacturers, uh, whether they'll be able to uh, keep the price increases that they've made or whether they'll have to reduce prices going forward. So I think that's an interesting dynamic when we look at it from a stock standpoint. Um, and, um, you know, I don't think it's as big a deal from a consumer demand standpoint. Interesting. Meaning, as you know, your consumers are making purchases in the mattress space uh, once every five years or whatever it may be. So they're a little bit uh, less uh, knowledgeable about what, you know, the prices when they last pay. That's right. They're not so, tracking those uh, changes as closely as in other categories. So they're maybe not as sensitive yeah. to it. That does make sense. Good. Will we see you at market? I hope so. I plan on stopping by. It'll be great to catch up with you guys in person. Absolutely. We'll look forward to let's grab a drink for sure. Yeah, likewise. When you go when you go to market, what's your what's your plan of attack? Like when you when you go this upcoming market, what do you look for? Who do you meet with? Yeah, I like to meet with uh, people across the industry, uh, retailers as well as a number of brands. Uh, so uh, that'll be my plan. Um, you know, see what's new out there and see what's changed. All right. We're definitely going to get on your calendar for a drink or breakfast or something. Sounds good. Yeah, definitely. Always yeah. good to see you. And thank you for coming on the show. Thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, we're psyched to have you back here. Uh, psyched to be back with Mike It Up. And uh, as always, we remind you, if you like what you're hearing, please um, subscribe to the show on whatever format you, you prefer to consume it. Uh, tell your friends. And uh, feel free to leave us a comment with uh, any of your thoughts. So uh, we'd love to engage with, with folks on everything we're talking about here on the show. In the meantime, thanks for being on the show, Seth. And everybody, thanks for listening. We're out. We're out.